We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's go into the mailbag. We don't have a ton of questions so far, but I'm going to try. I'm sure you guys are going to get some more. We've got about 11 right now, and we're going to dive into those right now. we got a few super chats. I want to start off with those. Thank you for your super chat here, Nathan Milton. He says, Tommy Reese, top 10 OC. Figured you needed a laugh, Brian. Thanks for all the content, even though you're a man down and under the weather. So I appreciate that. I'm not I'm not like sick sick. I think I had some bad food on Saturday, and that kind of jacked me up. So I didn't have a lot of energy yesterday. I was going to mow the lawn, just didn't have, just didn't have the energy for it. After I made dinner, I was like, man, I just don't, I just, I need to sit down, but it really jacked my voice up. You know, sometimes that'll, that'll do that to you. Wasn't as bad as last time, but it was, uh, it it was not a pleasant weekend, but I'm feeling a lot better now. Thank you, Nathan. The Tom Maurice top 10 OC thing. I mean, are we in any of a surprise? I mean, look, there's no way in heck if Tom Maurice stays at Notre Dame, he's considered a top 10 OC. That's just the reality of it. Could he end up being one? Sure. I mean, you guys know, and I've said for a while, I think Tommy's a really smart guy. And I'm very curious to see what the influence that Nick Saban will have on him. We'll see. We'll see. But this notion that he's a top 10 OC right now, you know, I just, it's just typical SEC bias. There's no way that people are saying he's a top 10 OC if he's still in Notre Dame. Even if you want to make the case he is, it's not about is he if he is or isn't. It's about what about his reputation has warranted that now there's a lot of reasons why he hasn't put a great offense on the field some of it is on him some of it's bad luck not having talent whatever the case may be but and and i don't buy that i'm saying in certain positions mainly quarterback that's been the case but i mean i expected that just like espn ranked tyler buckner and whoever starts at quarterback in alabama had a sam hartman just because it's alabama i mean they literally said it it's just alabama which is just utter nonsense, but I expected that. I didn't get a good laugh out of it, I mean, the way you think, because I, I like Tom Maurice. I, th- I think he's a smart football coach. I just think he still has a lot to learn as a, as a coach. And you hope, if you're a Tom Maurice supporter, you hope that being under Nick Saban is something that brings that out and helps him kind of work through some of his warts as a young coach. We all had him when we were young coaches, when we were 28, 29, 30, 31. We're all learning. You're If you're as good of a coach as you're ever going to be at 30, then you need to find something else better to do because you're just not that good of a coach. 
He's going to get better. I just don't know how much better he's going to get in year one at Alabama with shaky quarterback situation. But uh, we'll, we're going to find out. We're going to find out. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Super chat from Call Me Ty. Thank you, Call Me Ty, very, very much. It says 23 seem to have more peaks and valleys in recruiting than 24. 23 had the top-ranked class for a long time. Then the decommitments. Do you think this was a change in strategy this year? No, this is a good question, Ty. Can, we've been asked this before uh, on the message board. I don't think it was a change in strategy because – oh, big picture. Because they're still trying to recruit these the big-time guys. They're still, still – look, they didn't stop recruiting big-time players. They have a five-star quarterback in the class. They have a five-star receiver in the class. They're trying to recruit a five-star defensive tackle. They're trying to recruit a five-star defensive end. They're still trying to recruit one of the best offensive tackles in high school football right now in Gary Lambert. They're trying to recruit a top 100 running back, in my opinion, and then the opinion of on three in Kedron Young. They're trying to recruit a top 50 caliber player, top 100 caliber player at tight end in Carter Nelson. And they're trying to flip a really talented cornerback from Tennessee that's that's committed to Tennessee. They're trying to sign a top 100 linebacker in Kingston, Viliama Asa. So they're recruiting the high-level guys. It's just number one. I don't. I think the fact that their five stars have been committed for so long. Like I hear people say this. Well, they had more. They had more high-level players last year. Really? Uh, okay. They had they had Keon Keeley. Okay, got that one. Uh, at this point, time a year ago, they had Peyton Bowen. Okay, agree with that. Uh, they had Drake Bowen a year ago. Okay, agree with that. But who are the other like? Top 50, 7,500 guys that they had. Braylon James, okay, I agree with that. Hey, Jeremiah Love was not committed till October last year. Christian Gray wasn't in the class this time a year ago. Jaden Osbury wasn't in the class this time a year ago. Those kids didn't commit till July and in, in, in August. Charles Jackasaw was not in the class this time a year ago. Bubakar Traore, I think committed after this as well. Armel Mookum committed later than this. So they didn't, they had like 12 kids, I think committed at this time a year ago. I think it's the timing of it. 
I think that people just kind of forget that Notre Dame has some five-star kids. I think another part of it is the fact that some of the kids that I think are really talented guys aren't ranked high. So as much as some of you say, I don't care about rankings, you do because it impacts your lack of excitement for certain players. I, if, if, if this was just a conversation about talent and no one had any rankings to look at, I think the excitement about the defensive end class would be way higher than it is. It, it just would be. So I don't think it's a change of strategy. I just think last year they got some kids early. This year, the top players are on defense aren't committing early, but they're way ahead of where they were on offense at this point in time a year ago. So I think the only thing that's changed, Ty, in strategy this year is as far as like, I mean, they're, they're doubling down on certain things. We want to recruit Texas. We want to recruit Georgia. We want to do those type of things. We want to recruit top-level players. We want to recruit long athletic guys. The only thing that's changed is, number one, as I said, some of the top players are not committing, which isn't a change. For Notre Dame, it's a change in circumstance. So they got to close on those guys later as opposed to getting them early and hanging on. The other change is they're not letting kids commit, silently commit, and taking those commitments until if they're going to visit. And I think that they've been very adamant about that. You're if you, Look, if you want to take visits, that's cool. Just don't commit. They've done that. They did that with Peyton Pierce. They did that with Justin Scott. So they're very adamant about that because I don't think they want to get in a situation where they get a commitment and then lose it. I think that's the only really change that we've seen. I I, I think this. I'm, I'm, there's less guys I'm concerned about flipping out of this class than last year's class. I just think this is an underrated class. It's not an elite class. That's going to be defined by the finish. And there's no question about that. This is not a true gap-closing top five class and it is right now but it's not going to stay there if they don't finish strong i mean other schools are going to pass them up bama has how many commitments does bama have right now it's not many let me just look this up real quick bama doesn't have a lot of commits right now i'm, I'm looking up the rivals rankings give me or class real quick they have eight kids committed they're ranked 15th in the country they just took a three-star offensive lineman we all know Bama's going to sign 15, 20 more kids, and they're going to be ranked, and they're going to skyrocket up the rankings, right? We, we know this. You've got other teams that right now aren't, aren't ranked super high because they don't have a lot of kids committed, and they will. They'll, they'll have a lot more. Florida right now ranks 11th. They only have eight kids committed. They're going to sign more. Uh, Clemson ranks 17th. They're, they only have eight kids committed right now. They're going to sign more. They're going to go up the rankings. Oklahoma right now ranks 26 in recruiting. They only have six kids committed. They're going to get a lot more. They're going to go up the rankings. Notre Dame right now has 17 kids committed. Ohio State only has 13. Tennessee only has 12. Florida State only has 11. As those teams get more players, then they're going to they're going to catch and pass Notre Dame from a perception and a recruiting ranking standpoint if Notre Dame doesn't close on the top kids on the board. So it means getting Kedron Young, getting Carter Nelson, getting Gearby Lambert, getting Elijah Rushing or Justin Scott. You got to get at least one of those two. Getting Kingston at cornerback, flipping Caleb Beasley, getting Bronte Johnson at safety. Those things are all important to Notre Dame finishing with where they are now, which is a top five class. I mean, right now, Notre Dame, by everyone that to me does recruiting rankings like a sane group. Uh, and, and with any sense whatsoever, and so I'm I'm leading leaving on three out of this conversation because the way that they do their team rankings, first of all, I barely understand, and what I do understand makes zero sense. But right now, Notre Dame has the number three ranked recruiting class in the country. 
number three. So yeah, they were ranked number one a lot last year. They're not that far off right now. They're number three. But if they're going to stay in this area, they've got to close on the big-time players. They're going to fall back eventually just because there's a bias in the recruiting rankings with some of those places. It, what's funny is I think on three's recruiting rankings, I just hammered them. I think on three is the, the outlet that, to me, has the least bias towards Notre Dame. I actually think Rivals is moving in a direction where a lot of the people that I know for a fact had bias against Notre Dame are not involved in the rankings process anymore. So I think we're going to see a little bit more fairness there. Uh, they just hired my guy, John Garcia Jr., who you all know I have a, a great deal of respect for. Uh, you know he's going to be fair in rankings, and he's not going to be pro-Notre Dame or anti. He's just going to be fair. He's going to give you an honest uh, uh, opinion. And so I think Rivals is moving closer to that, but they've got some kids that they're missing on right now. I've, I've told him that. You know, I, Isaiah Canyon is not a three-star. They have they – have, um, uh, what uh, uh, Styles Prescott is like a middle-of-the-road 5'5", five, five, three-star. Five six three star, I think he's better than that. He's not a top hundred guy by any stretch, but he's a, he's better than that. So there's some guys that are down on, but they have Peter Jones at the top hundred. Everybody else has dropped him down. They have uh, Leonard Moore higher than everybody else, but there's just not going to be enough of the push that they should be getting that happens at other places. So they're going to fall out, but it's going to, for all intents and purposes, if you close with the guys that I just talked about, it's a top five class. Meaning. There are not five classes in college football that I would trade for Notre Dame's class, and I felt the same way about last year's class. I don't care what the rankings say. So I like where Notre Dame's class is at right now. I, I think it's just about the finish, and last year was about the finish. The same thing last year. you got to get Christian Gray. you got to get Jane Osbury. you got to hold on to Keon. you got to hold on to Peyton Bowen. You've got to get Jaden Greathouse. You've got to get this kid. you got to get that kid. you got to get Jagasaw. And they got a lot of those guys, but then they couldn't hold on to some other guys. So that's going to be the key. It's just being able to do that. I, I don't, but I don't think other than what I discussed, there was a huge change in strategy from this season compared to last season. Uh, Wicked Bronco Productions, thank you for Super Chat. Update on Justin Scott after the Georgia visit. I think if Scott makes it out of June uncommitted, he ends up at Notre Dame. I know Scott uh, said Georgia tied with Miami and Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame needs Scott or rushing. Hope we get both. I don't, I don't have a lot of update. I, I don't know what really you expect me to say uh he just finished up a visit to georgia i know what you're referring to you're referring to a, a tweet that was made where justin said that georgia has tied miami notre dame i said this on the message board if that's true that's great for notre dame because number one he said miami and notre dame not michigan so i think that notre dame felt that michigan was making a push the most was making a push Chad Bowden, Marcus Freeman are also now more involved with that one, I believe. And so Notre Dame is pushing for him again. And I think the fact that he Notre Dame was the northern school that he mentioned is a great sign because, as I've said before, if he commits now, I still think he signs with a northern school when it's all said and done. It's just which northern school. So the fact that, that he said that is an encouragement. And to me, kind of to your point, if he, I, I think he's, I think they got a shot to get him in the end, even if he does commit somewhere else. I, I've said that they've got to recruit him well and, and recruit him properly. But if they do what they're supposed to do, I think ultimately they still get him. If Georgia can kind of keep him from committing to Miami in June or July, that's good for Notre Dame because that ensures he's going to take visits in the fall. And one of them will be an official to Notre Dame because he's talked about taking an official to Notre Dame. If he's going to get back down to Georgia, if he's going to get back down to Miami, those are going to be unofficial visits, which means he's got to pay to go to those schools a second time because he's already gone to them unofficially once already. Now he's taking the officials. So 
Georgia could end up helping Notre Dame here if Notre Dame can continue to make him the top priority the way that he needs to be. Uh, or eight, like just I don't care about D tackle DN. You are just you're a top priority in this class. Treat him as such from now until signing day. If they do that, I think they'll they'll be okay. And I think Georgia can help with that because I think Georgia might slow down his decision making process a little bit. And uh, and that's where I think it can help. But you know, as far as updates for Notre Dame, there 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 aren't any. I think that they they were able to they they didn't make any movement this weekend. But if Georgia was able to do what I said, that's going to I think be very helpful for Notre Dame. Got a super chat from Raymond Hart. He says, "Thanks for the intel over the weekend, Brian. Keep up the good work. I will do my best. It's obviously been tough because Ryan's out on paternity leave. His little one is doing very well. Rain is doing very well. I was talking to him earlier today." Uh, so um, he's doing fine. He's slated to come back as of right now next week. So hopefully we'll get him back on the show on Monday and uh, we'll have him back on there. So, but I appreciate that. And if for, for just those that don't know, we put an Intel piece on the board yesterday. He also did a late night sort of football chat as well. So it's like nine, 10 pages long. So you, if you're not a board member, you missed that as well. I just was sitting there getting some work done. was going to be in front of the computer, was sitting down and said, Hey, let's do a chat. So a ton of questions that were asked. I answered them as best I could, and uh, I think there's some good stuff in there. But we got some really good nuggets. I put a couple updates this morning on that Intel thread, so if you checked it out yesterday but haven't today, definitely check that out because there's some new updates on uh, on where things stand uh, in that Intel piece. Another super chat from Wicked Bronco Productions. Thank you very much for your super chat as well. Your second super chat as well. I personally use twenty four seven and on three. I like on three because they rank based on the average ranking of each player in class in the big four recruiting sites. So you get a law of averages. If you're talking about their consensus rankings, yes, that's fine. That's not how they f- do their team rankings. I I don't really care much for two four seven to be honest with you. Uh, in so many different ways, I think on threes rankings are just not good but I like their consensus ranking because as you said, they weigh all four of them equally uh, as opposed to weighing their own rankings more, which is what two, four, seven does. I mean, it's fine. I think, I think what I like about on three, I'll I'll give you two things I like about on three. Number one is, as I said, I think the way they rank is kind of silly. And I don't, I don't think the, the classes, I don't agree with a lot of their assessments about certain players, but there's two things about it. Number one is they they do it with conviction, which I, I respect. And there, I don't I don't see any bias. I, I don't. There's like, I mean, when I there was a kid that was committed to Michigan State last year that I thought, what the heck is that guy doing in the top hundred? What's the bias of having that kid? I think the kid was like from like Oklahoma or something like that, Utah or something like that. Let me look up, let me look up Michigan State's class real quick last year. We'll find it was the quarterback that was committed to Michigan State. I remember watching this kid playing. I'm like, this. I don't know what the heck they're they're talking about. I just I, I didn't agree with the ranking at all. But what's the bias there? Yeah, it's a kid from Oregon, Sean Levitt. They had in the top hundred. I was like, what's the bias there? The bias is that they their evaluation that it wasn't a oh we're a pro Michigan State site or we pump up the SEC or whatever. It just I don't agree with your ranking. There were some Notre Dame kids right now that that, that or last year that they hadn't ranked higher than everybody else. So. I, I don't think their rankings are biased. I just don't think they're that good. I don't think the process is that good, but there are some kids in this class, especially, I think they're the, they're way closer on than anybody else. They have Isaiah Canyon as a top hundred player. Others have them as like a three-star. They have them at, they have Kedron Young as a top hundred and only one other outlet has them in their top two fifty. And I think two, four, seven, I believe has Kedron Young still as a four-star. I mean, excuse me, as a three-star. 
I believe I'm pulling up that right now. Yeah. No, they have him as a two four uh, four star now, but not in their top two four seven. ESPN doesn't have him in their top three hundred, but on three has him at number eighty two. So I believe that that they have done a really nice job of putting good ranking, like uh, a a good faith effort into their rankings. I just don't agree with a lot of their rankings, but I don't think it's a it's a Notre Dame bias in my opinion. And I do th- I do like their their consensus is good. Uh, uh, as far as taking it and and the other thing i like about on three is just their site the way that their player profiles work is really the cleanest you can see what other schools are recruiting a kid you can look at their visits you can look at uh, where all the other sites rank them i think they're the only one that actually show what the other sites rank a kid i like that i i, I i'm a fan of that so in that regard i like it i i like the functionality of their player profiles that's the only thing i go over there for I think the way they do rankings is silly as far as team rankings. I don't agree with a lot of their player rankings, but there's some that I think they're spot on and they're way better than everybody else. It's just going to be the case. That's just going to be the case. So if they can improve their evaluations, I mean, they're going to pass everybody up quick because of some of the other good stuff. Now I think that NIL thing that they do is absurd. I hate it, but take that aside I like a lot of the other things they're doing outside of like from just from a make sure I'm clear here. There's I have a lot of issues with some of the individual sites and I'm talking about like the functionality of their website, the way that that works. That's what I really like in, in, at this point in time. That's better than everybody else. And the, the way they do their consensus compared to the composite ranking, I think is also better than what uh, a, a lot of other people are doing. All right, Bailey Brad with a question here. He says, uh, Kirby Smart is 47 years old and currently on a roll, so over under seven national titles by the time he's done coaching. Under. Look, what Nick Saban did is rare. And, yeah, he won two titles. Kirby's going to – I mean, I'll be shocked if he doesn't win another one. I, I'm not saying he – oh, you, you got lucky, and I'm not saying that. I just, just to me, there's no way he gets to seven, in my opinion. And that's not a knock on Kirby. That's not saying he's not a good coach. I'm not – but what Saban did was rare. I mean, we, I don't know we've ever seen it before. And so to sit there and say, oh, well, the next guy that's really good is going to do the same thing. I mean, look, we Tom Tom Coughlin coached for how many years? He had back-to-back titles, and he never won another one. Of course, he retired soon after that. But we've seen coaches – we've seen this before, right, where a guy has a really success and early on or has a stretch where they're really good and just can't continue it because it's hard to do that. You you, It's hard to – to, to win championships period. It's hard to win back-to-back championships. And then to be able to do it to where you're, you, you know, you're now the, you're now the guy everybody wants to go after and you just start losing your coaches. And it's just hard to maintain that level of success for a long period of time. It really is. So seven, no, I don't think he gets a seven. I don't, I don't think anybody gets a seven. F, yeah, I mean, I just don't. Yeah, I don't. Wicked Barranco, I'll say this too. I think going to 12 is going to make it harder too because now they got to win more games. And that that's always harder, in my opinion. And and when you expand the playoff format, there's always a chance that some team's going to get in that's kryptonite for you. And that's always a reality. I mean, remember when Hugh Freeze was given Alabama problems. Jimbo Fisher, as bad of a job he's done, he's given Saban back-to-back really tough games. They beat him in 21 and honestly, almost beat him again this year. Uh, had the ball, I think, inside the 20 
with a chance to beat Alabama. It's just like that sometimes. There's just some teams that are kryptonite for other teams, or the matchups are much better. Ohio State can go toe-to-toe with Georgia, the national champ, the defending champ, the team that won it this year. Go toe-to-toe with them. Move the ball down the field. You're a play here, a play there away. But yet Michigan works them back-to-back years. It's a bad matchup for them. And that's how that's one thing I love about football. And the more you the more you have to teams like that are brought into the process, the greater chance that you run into that team. And I think that's something that's going to make it a little bit harder for a team like Alabama to do what they did in my, in my view. I have another super chat from wicked Bronco productions. Thank you again for that. On three usually ranks Notre Dame guys fairly except CJ Carr. They dropped CJ to 150, but kept him at number five QB. Chad Powers' explanation made tons of indie fans mad. I have no clue what his explanation was. I don't care what his explanation was. It's a terrible ranking. But but my point is, I don't think he's being unfair to CJ. I don't think there's any Notre Dame bias involved in his ranking. I just think it's a terrible ranking. But he's he's been wrong. I mean, he did that with Dante last year, even though Don, Dante was moved on from Notre Dame and he dropped Dante down. He had Brandon Innes in the 90s. I mean, I think Brandon Innes is a top 15 player. He just has bad rankings, in my opinion, with a lot of kids. And I just don't think that there's a bias involved. I've never seen anything from Charles Power. It's Charles Powers, by the way. But I've never seen anything with, from Charles Powers that says, boy, that guy's that guy's got a bias for this school or this conference. And he's got a, he's got an anti this conference bias. I just, he has biases like we all do. I just think just the evaluation process is where I think he goes wrong. I don't think there's anything inherently biased about what he does. That's just kind of my two cents on him. But yeah, the CJ Carr ranking is an example of just, it's just a bad ranking, but no, I mean, he's got Peyton Pierce, Actually, let me go look and see if that's the case. Like, I don't think Peyton Pierce is is as good as some people make him out to be. I think he's a good player. Don't get me wrong. But he's ranked as the number 77 player in the country by rivals. That's way too high. I think 247 is at 190. I think that's closer. He's like a top 250-ish kind of guy for me. But on three has him ranked as the number 116 player in the state of Texas and the number 79 linebacker. That's a crazy ranking. But it's a kid going to Ohio State. He didn't do that because he was looking at Notre Dame, and then now that he's going to Ohio State, he changes it. I don't think Charles Powers knew that the kid was silently committed to Notre Dame. I just think it's a bad ranking, in my opinion. I think that's really what it comes down to. I can respect that, though. I can respect the guy that's putting in the work that will stand up and, and give an explanation and say, look, I just think he's wrong. But I but I still respect the process more than I do at some other places. I'll I'll, I'll leave it at that. All right. Yeah, one here from Terry Gillery says, would you have taken Ian Moore? I do think it's the last name on that one, Bad Omen. I would not have taken Ian Moore. If I had to choose between him and Anthony Knapp, I'd probably take Ian Moore. I What I would have done is I would have taken, after Peter Jones, I would have taken Caleb Brewer. I still think Notre Dame gets Caleb Brewer if they would have pushed for him. I do. And I think that was a mistake by Coach Rudolph. I, I do. I, I don't. I don't like that decision. I don't agree with it. But he did it with conviction, and we'll see if he's right. And and so it was. It was. Uh, that's one that I would criticize him more than the ranking of of or than the picking of Ian Moore. I, 
I, I think Ian Moore's a nice player. I don't think he's a top hundred guy that people make him out to be. I, I just I don't see that. So I'm I'm okay with them not getting him. I just I, I wouldn't have take I wouldn't have passed on him for who they pass on him for, if that makes sense. All right, David Cook with a question. David asks, do the coaches give committed kids a strength conditioning and dietary regimen that they would like them to follow before getting to Notre Dame? They don't give committed kids that. They give when they sign, however, they can give them that. That's the that's the difference. So you 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 can't give I don't believe you can give committed kid uncommitted kids that kind of thing because even though they're committed to you, you still have to treat them like everybody else. Once they sign on the dotted line, they sign their letter of intent, signing day comes and goes, then you can give them that stuff. So like Notre Dame commits of the 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 Notre Dame fre- incoming freshmen that haven't arrived yet, the kids that arrive in June, they've all been given workout plans and and nutrition plans and all that kind of stuff. So they've been working on that stuff for a while, but they didn't get it till probably like January after they'd signed and and the new the new plans came out. It's a good question. Rob Osgood said great article on the IB boards about uh, Kirby Lambert and Joe Rudolph. Thank you for that. It's a an, an Intel update, not necessarily an article, just so if people sign up and they're looking for it, it's in the Intel piece. Does this weekend somewhat change your view of Rudolph as a recruiter, new coach, get in late, but looks like he did well this weekend? No, it doesn't change it, Rob. I mean, we talked about this last week. It's, it, you know, I explained kind of why I, I'm going to be critical of the job he's done when it warrants it, but why I've said I, I want to wait and see because I want to see how he does with certain things. And, and, and all because I know that offensive line recruiting is different. It's not the same uh, as it is at other positions. And so we wanted to see how does it, you know, how does it play out? Can he can he make the impression? But at, at the same time, having a good weekend doesn't change my view. Do you get the kid in the class or not? Impressing him over the course of a weekend doesn't mean a thing. What matters is can you get the kid in the class? That's going to be what the evaluation is. Now if he's able to get Gearby Lambert and Styles Prescott in the class and sign them, then any concerns that I have about the process and some of the things he's done, those are those are going to be put aside to a, to a large degree. And then it comes down to like I am with every other coach. Well, I don't particularly agree with you this evaluation, but you know the guys. There's not every kid that Coach Eastan took. I, I loved. I, I didn't love Chris Terrick the way that Coach Eastan did. Uh, the, I didn't like John Montalus a lot coming out of high school. But uh, you can still have that disagreement and say, but the guy's doing a great job. We just happen to have a disagreement on this particular player. And he's who he is, so you kind of give him the benefit of the doubt. And I think Coach Rudolph has a chance to do that, but he's going to have to get these kids in the class. It's not just about doing well in a weekend. A lot of We've seen a lot of guys come and go, hey, this guy, great weekend, and it was awesome, and everything went well, but uh, you know, he went on two other visits, and by the time those visits were over, you were done. It's about who do you land? And that's going to be the key. That's going to be the key, Rob. But, but again, I, I think the impression I'm getting from your question, and I could be reading it wrong, is that that you're, 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 we said he was a terrible recruiter and a bad recruiter. We've never said that. I mean, we've said he was a very good recruiter at Wisconsin. He was known as a very good recruiter at Wisconsin. I didn't agree with the decision to take Anthony Knapp over Caleb Brewer. He fa- They faded with Charles Jack, uh, Charles Jackson, Kirby Lambert. That's a fact. Now he's done a good job getting back in there, but let's see if you can sign him. But we talked about this last week. He was going to get a chance to come out and 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 prove that he can get it done. And he's he he put a good foot forward. But until Gearby's in the class, 
it doesn't mean a whole lot. If he gets into class, then we can have this conversation. And I'll be very positive about him at that point in time. But he did a great job this weekend. I'm not taking that away. But it's about closing, not about, hey, we the kid really liked us. We finished second. He loved us. It was hard for him to say no and go somewhere else. Still went somewhere else. It doesn't matter. You lose by 30 or you lose by three, it's still a loss. And that's 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 where we need to kind of figure things out right now. Uh, this is an interesting question from JHT1988. Brian was also curious about this. How does ego come into play for coaches recruiting kids who aren't 100% into your school? Is there ever an attitude of why go for a kid who we aren't number one for? Uh, it, it, not good coaches. Look, every kid that's at Alabama did not just wake up at, you know, one day at five-year-old and say, I want to go play for Alabama. Not every kid that went to Alabama originally had Alabama number one. Keon Keeley being a great example. I still don't think Keon likes Alabama as much as Notre Dame, but they sold him on a vision for what they can do for him that worked for him. I mean, Ryan talked about this at the All-Star game. He spent as much time hanging out with Notre Dame kids, if not more, than the Alabama kids. But Alabama got the job done. And so are there coaches like that? Sure. Are good coaches like that? No, because if you are, then you're just going to constantly bring in just okay players because you're you're just not going to always be the school for kids. And I um, I think you need to put that kind of thing aside and say, hey, look, it's our job to make sure that we're number one when it's all said and done. I don't care where we are and start the process. Now, if a kid is just constantly not willing to engage you in the process, then sure, you don't waste time. I'm not going to beg you to even talk to me. You know, there's a line that I you get to where you're like, I'm putting in more effort than 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 I should be for a kid who just shows no interest in us. Then sure, yeah, you move on from that. But I don't think that's ego. I think that's smart strategy. But a kid, we, you know, I mean, we've seen this where no names led for kid, led for kid, led for kid, and then boom, he goes somewhere else. We've seen situations where another school led for a kid, led for a kid, led for a kid, and then boom, no name is able to overtake it. It's about what happens at the end, not uh, – that's why I say, you know, recruiting is a marathon, not a sprint. And and what that means is it doesn't really matter how you start. In a sprint, if you get a great start, you have a better shot at winning. Now, not always the case, as we used the example last week about Usain Bolt. But unless you're racing Usain Bolt or, you know, generational racer like that, you get a great start. You got a good, a good chance of winning, especially if like in, in indoor, you know, you're racing 55 meters. You, you get off to a, a rough start or a good start. You got a chance of winning. In a marathon, the, the best always it's kind of like the difference between you know the NFL playoffs and Major League Baseball versus NBA and the NBA and Major League Baseball the best team usually kind of rises to the top by the end because it's a seven you can come out and be down a couple games or you know lose a game or two or lose three games and still win the series if you have a bad day in the NFL and in, in the postseason you're done that's it you're done same thing with NCAA uh, basketball you have a bad day the best team doesn't always advance the best team that day advances in college baseball. You can start off and have a terrible opener and then win the next two and you're good. Move on. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's about where are you at the end? That's all that matters. You can stay behind the guy, stay behind the guy, stay behind the guy. But as long as you win on that last turn and then you're good to go. Here's an interesting question from Rob Osgood. Rob asks, Question about players who take their mission for two years. How do they keep in football shape while they're gone for two years? Well, honestly, that depends on on where the mission is. So I believe like Kahuna Kia is in a mission in like Raleigh, North Carolina. There are gyms, 
there are fields, there are plenty of places to work out. Some kids will take their mission in like a third world country or somewhere where there's just not the access to nutrition. There's not the access to, to weight room, to fields, things like that. So if a kid wants to stay in shape, he'll, he'll stay in shape. That's, that's, um, that's just a given. Now, football shape's a different animal. You're going to not be in football shape right away. You don't stay in football shape. You stay in good physical shape. You make sure your diet's good. Make sure your nutrition is good. Make sure you're staying up on your cardio and, and things along those lines. Don't, don't get bad weight. As long as you're doing that, you'll the football part will come back. Uh, so, I mean, kids are taking missions in the United States and more developed countries. It's it's not that hard to stay in shape when you're when you're doing that. It it, it really isn't. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jason asks, how would you project Bradley Shaw versus a player like Jay Nosbury? Aren't they similar in size? All right, but what did I say, Jason? What did I say about Bradley Shaw? What's his game like? He plays like a middle linebacker. He's built like a rover. Okay, what's Jay Nosbury playing right now? Rover, right? That's the difference. Jay Nosbury is also a much better athlete than Bradley Shaw. So he's longer. He's a different type of player. And I've said before, Jaden Osbury is the exception to the rule. He doesn't define it. So how would I project Bradley Shaw? He plays like a pure inside linebacker. Jaden Osbury is a guy that plays great in space, whether he's as a will, whether he's a rover. And now if he can fill out, I think he play Mike. The difference is, is Jaden's longer, from what I can tell, than what Bradley is. And he's a much better athlete and plays a different style of game, which is why it works for him. Let's get to the next question. We got DMND13. Does Notre Dame try to strategically schedule public commits from kids who have given silence, or do they just let kids do it whenever? I'm thinking of the five commits in five days last summer. It's a little bit of both. Obviously, if a kid um, wants to commit, like on, I think I think it was Junior Tualamaca, committed like on a, his dad or mom's birthday or some 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 family member's birthday, uh, I think Christian Gray, the July 4th meant something for him. There was a reason he wanted to do it then. And so they'll they'll be fine with it. For other kids, it's like, yeah, hey, you visited. Let's schedule your commitment. Like, okay, let's say two kids committed this weekend. And they say, okay, well, let's get some bang for your buck. Let's have, have your moments. Hey, maybe you go on Tuesday and then you commit on Thursday. So this kid can have Tuesday and then, you know, can let a lot of the – excitement go for a couple days and then you commit on Thursday and then you can get excited, get the excitement and, and have your moment as well. And I think there'll be some strategy to that, but sometimes kids say, Hey, look, I want to commit on my birthday or I want to commit um, on my mom's birthday or my grandma's birthday or my dad's birthday or my brother who passed away's birthday, something like that. Then you let the kid do it that way. But if a kid doesn't have a specific, Hey, this is when I want to do it. They'll, they'll work with them on, on trying to do it in a way where you get the most public impact. And, and allow the kid to kind of get his moment. Because like you don't want to have three kids committing on the same day because then by the third commitment, nobody's talking about the first kid as much anymore. 
And so part of this is also helping those kids out to try to say, hey, look, uh, you you want to make sure that you're doing this in, in a time where you can get have your moment and then this other kid can have his moment and then it's going to be rocking and rolling. So that'll be uh, kind of how they do it. Let's get to another question here from Irish Blooded is not just as a Notre Dame coach, but what do you think of Manti as a college coach, personality and ability? I have no clue about his ability. I've never seen him in a coaching situation. I, I don't know if Manti has the ability to relate to players or not. I have no clue. I've never seen him in that situation. My thought would be that he would be a good coach just because of his knowledge of the game, the kind of player he was, and the personality. I think he's someone who, who cares about people and you know wants to help people and things like that. And I think there's a there's a, a, a certainly a place for that in coaching. You all know my stance on that. So in those areas, I, I think there's a lot of things about him uh, that would fit what really well as a, as a coach. But as far as ability, I have no clue. Cause look, not every smart or good player is a good coach. Look at Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan, arguably the greatest basketball player of all time, arguably, uh, certainly the best player of his generation, in my opinion. And I'm a Larry Bird fan, but I mean, I, I think, I think Mike, I mean, Bird would tell you, I think Michael's the best player of this, of the, of this generation, at least that generation. Then he, he was terrible, not very good coach. Magic was a terrible coach, and Jordan so far has been a pretty much a disaster of a owner GM. Isaiah Thomas wasn't a very good coach or GM. Larry Bird was, but he's a bit of a rarity. You look at Major League Baseball. I mean, Mark McGuire didn't do much as a hitting coach, I don't believe. And we've seen some guys who are former great players that just aren't good managers. Being a great player doesn't mean you're going to be a great coach. So in that regard, I have no idea. I would just say that I think Manta has a lot of traits that would make me think he'd have a chance to be a good coach in time. So, yes, I do. Now, here's another question from Irish Blooded. Ask, what do you think of the reports, if true, about Colorado, the Big 12 versus Pac-12, and how that might affect prime time as a head coach? So I think the report I saw was that, um, I think the one year, it was Colorado and Arizona, are our, our two teams that the pack the Big 12 is, is targeting. I would love to see the Big 12 go after Colorado. I wish the Big 12 would go after Nebraska. I, I do. I would love to see some of those teams back in that league. I, I think it'd be great for Nebraska. I think this would be great for Colorado. I think getting Colorado back to where recruiting the, the Southwest and the South is, is more feasible. I don't know a lot of kids in St. Louis that are just dying to play in the Pac-12, and if they are, they're going to go to USC or Oregon, right? I mean, I don't know a lot of kids that are dying to play in the Pac-12, and if they are, they're going to go to USC or Oregon, right? I mean, that's just the reality of it. So I think going to the Big 12 it didn't make a lot of sense. They lost a lot of their longtime rivals. You get them back in the Big 12 now, some of their rivals are gone, but some of them are still there, right? I mean, Texas is gone. Oklahoma's gone. Nebraska's gone. But there's still some rivals there. There's still some of the old Big 12 big eight Southwest conference influence there. So I, I would love that. I think it'd be great for the big 12. You, if you're able to pull those two off, because again, what do we talk about? It's not about bringing in great programs. It's about bringing in TV markets, getting the Denver market. And then the Phoenix air, you know, Tucson Phoenix market would also make a ton of sense to me. How will it affect prime time? Again, I think it gives him a league that's going to have more spotlight than the one he's in now, especially with USC and UCLA leaving. Uh, it gives him markets of or recruiting markets that I think are going to be more favorable to him 
than what the Pac-12 is, you're going to be on more not 10 o'clock at night East Coast game times in the Big 12, which is good for him. Uh, so I, I think there's, I think for him, if I'm him, I'm happy about this. I'd be, I think it'd be a smart move for the program. I think it gives them a better chance to win. I think there's a lot of aspects about that that would ma- would make a lot of sense. It would make a lot of sense. So, I mean, if it was me, I would, uh, I'd be all for that one. I'd be all for that one. Next question from Seth Clark. I know it's early, but what do you think of Chris Burgess as a player and what are Notre Dame's chances of landing him early? Seth, I don't know about landing him early. I mean, he's a, he's got some big time schools after him. I don't I have not heard that Chris is in a decision early decision making process. I know Notre Dame likes him a lot. With a lot of 25 kids, there's still a lot of academic work to do just from and I don't care what your GPA is because there's a lot of courses that Notre Dame needs kids to take that you're just not going to have by the end of your sophomore year. And so it can get a little bit questionable in that regard, but I know they love him as a player and he was at Irish invasion yesterday. He was one of the guys that I wasn't able to go, as I said, but he was one of the guys that one of my sources who was there said had a great camp. So there he's now made what I think three trips to campus. There's definitely an interest there. Is it enough to get him to decide early that I don't know that I'm not sure of. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how that one kind of plays out, but I do know they like him a lot for sure. Seth. DMND13 asks, what are your guess on how many kids from this past weekend's uncommitted visitors end up in the class? Three. I think th- – now, I'm not counting – if you're counting Bronte, I'd say four since he kind of showed up on Sunday. But if you're just talking about the ones that were here from Friday to Sunday, I'd say three of the five end up in Notre Dame. If you count Bronte, then I'd say four of the six end up in Notre Dame. That's that's where That's where it is. Uh, Jordan Schreiber says, will CJ Carby and South Bend for Carter Nelson? Do you know if they've met yet? I don't know the answer to either one of those, to be honest with you. I know that he's got Elite 11 coming up here soon, and I'm not quite sure. He's got Elite 11 coming up, and I think the 7-on-7 championship is coming up. So the Elite 11 is the 14th to the 16th, so he should be good there. I don't know when the seven on seven championship is. I, I know that he'll if he if he doesn't have a prior obligation, he'll be there. Uh, so I don't know if they've met yet. I think it would be good for him. The reason I left him off the list earlier is because I haven't gotten confirmation he's going to be there, and I can't put a kid on the list if he if he hasn't confirmed with us that he's going to be there. And um, so yeah, that's kind of that's kind of how I feel about that one. Ben Tarnowski asks. Uh, where do you see this class ending up if Notre Dame can close on some of their top targets? And where do you see it ending up if they can't? Look, I'll, I'll tell you what I think. I don't know where they're going to end up because I don't know. I have no control over how players are going to get ranked. You know, for example, you look at Isaiah Canyon, right? What's the incentive now that he's committed if he doesn't take visits, which as of right now he doesn't plan on doing, if he doesn't take visits, what's the incentive for 247 sports or rivals to jump him up their rankings? Well, with rivals, maybe it's just integrity being right. I don't think 247 is that way. What would be their incentive for making – he's a three-star right now. Him is the number 46 player in the state of Georgia. What's their incentive for moving him up into the top 100 like 247 like – on, like on three has him? There is none. So that's going to affect his ranking. And that's what happens with a lot of kids that Notre Dame and, and other schools. It's not just Notre Dame. 
But I've said this before. Some some guys trying to make a kiss on the board, like, well, the recruiting rankings are right. Just look at Alabama. So, okay, what, what do you mean? Well, the, they get all these highly ranked kids. But I've said I've pointed out over and over and over again that Alabama has a bunch of kids every year that don't become highly ranked until after they've either committed to Alabama or it's clear that Alabama is their leader. So were the rankings right? And my point being, if that kid would have somehow chosen Georgia Tech just because for whatever reason and knock on Alabama, would his ranking have reflected his talent? No, it wouldn't have. And so it's not the the rankings were right. The rankings followed the kid's decision to go to Alabama. Then it came. And and so that Notre Dame's not one of those schools right now that gets the benefit of the doubt from the recruiting services. They're starting. So I don't know where it's going to end up being ranked, even if they close on everybody. I'll tell you this. So I've said earlier, Carter Nelson, Gearby Lambert, Kedron Young, Elijah Rushing, Justin Scott, Kingston Villiama Asa, Caleb Beasley, Bronte Johnson, Davis Andrews, Malcolm Ziegler, to me, are the the must-gets. You can throw Oliver Miles in there. If you get most of those guys, for me, that's a top five. I mean, there's just I have a hard time feeling that there's going to be five classes better than that one. Just have a hard time with it. It's going to be balanced on both sides of the ball. You're going to have impact players on both sides of the ball. There's incredibly high ceilings mixed in there. There's some really high floors mixed in there. It's just the kind of class you can win a championship with. And you just followed up with a similar class a year ago. I don't know where it's going to be from a ranking standpoint. And honestly, I stopped caring. I just care about what do my eyes tell me. And I trust my eyes more than I trust those. And they should trust their eyes more than they trust mine. I mean, if if a guy's watching our show and saying, well, Driscoll said this, let's move this, good, then he shouldn't be doing rankings. They should trust their own eyes. I just wish some of them would be more honest and maybe work a little harder to say, hey, where do I make mistakes? Like I've updated my recruiting rankings this year. We, we, you know, I've, I've kind of, with some of the upsides, I'm a little bit more picky with some of the upside grades because you start getting something like, well, you know, every kid has a chance to pan out and be that guy, but let's be a little bit more, let's have some variance to so like not everybody's getting like a, a an, like almost everybody the way I did in the past would have a higher upside grade than their current grade. So well, you know, that's not always true. And so just you alter it and, and it's based on results and you always want to, like I said, my grading system I came up with because at a lot of positions, because I was when I was missing, I was missing in like one direction. I would miss on bigger guys almost, almost always. And, and so you say, okay, especially like a receiver. So you've got to, if you're just ranking off of gut, then that you're going to have those misses on your bias. You've got to come up, if you come up with a grading system that fits your bias, then you're going to just play into your bias. You've got to be able to create a grading system that creates some balance that helps you to kind of protect yourself from your own biases. And that's what I've tried to do. And I think more, more people need to be willing to do that. In my opinion, let me see here. I don't understand this question. Patrick Fleming says, help us out with your recruiting ranking stance. Can you give us an example of a highly ranked player who was a bust and a poorly ranked player who was a gem? I don't understand your question, Patrick. What exactly are you asking with what's that have to do with my stance? I mean, there's a ton of guys who were highly ranked that were busts and a ton of ton of guys who were lowly ranked that became gems. I, I, if you tell me what you're what you're trying to ask here, like why you're asking it, I'll be able to better answer. But I don't understand what you're saying by recruiting stance. So if you could just clear that up for me, I would appreciate that. Uh, but I mean, we could be I could do a whole show on five stars who busted a whole show and I could do a whole show 
on two and three star kids who became great players. Somebody in the chat said Justin Jefferson. It's a perfect example. Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase on the same receiving core. Jamar Chase was like, I think a five-star, highly ranked guy. Turned out to be great. Justin Jefferson was a two-star. Turned out to be great. There's other five-stars they've had. Malachi Dupree, one very good. Um, you know, so that's that's kind of – you're always going to find that. Um, so Patrick says, I think you're saying that rankings are at least partly driven by clickbait. But yeah, I'm very much saying that. Absolutely. Very much saying that. It's not every service is that way, but they absolutely do that. Look, we've been told in the past by players that this sir, this this guy told me that if I only talk to him, he'll move me up in the rankings. I'm supposed to have respect for that group's rankings then? Uh, I, I know for a fact that a guy that has some some say in the rankings at one of the major networks hates Notre Dame and he's a petty person that lets his feelings influence the job that he does. Just a, just it's a reality. I'm supposed to respect his rankings and think that it has something to do with it. And we see it all the time. Kids that are committed early and don't take visits, don't go up in the rankings. Very rarely does that happen. Kids who are uncommitted all the time do that. That just follow it. I'm not pulling this out of my, you know what, man, just look at the rankings. I've, I've pointed this out on the message board several times. Look at Alabama. I'll give you like half their class one year where kids that were ranked, you know, top 150, 200, three star. And then they commit to Bama and they go up immediately. The very next ranking is like a hundred spots based on what there was literally no football being played between the time that they committed to Bama and got their rankings boost. No football was being played. None. So what resulted in it? They signed Bama. So again, was that kid talented? Yeah. Should that, did that kid deserve the ranking he got? In a lot of instances, yes. But is the ranking reflective of their evaluation? No, it's not. And there's just a lot of that. And there's a lot of, um, it benefits us. I'm looking at it from their standpoint. It benefits us to have some of these uncommitted kids up in the rankings. Because otherwise, what's the storyline? Or here's another one. If you're not moving kids around in the rankings, what's the point of doing nine different recruiting rankings releases in the course of a year? which they will do. They'll do like three in the off season when there's no football being played. Well, if you're just, Hey, here's a new ranking. And it's the same as it was before, because there's been no football being played. Who's going to click on the articles. Who's going to sign up for their sites. Nobody that is new is going to do that. And so, yeah, I mean, it's easy to follow. It, it really is. If you pay attention to it and it's hard for some of you to pay attention to it because you have jobs and families and lives and all that. This is my job. So there's absolutely, Absolutely. And like I said, I know that there was personal biases with some people that were doing rankings at rivals. They're not there anymore. So I'm willing to give rivals a bit more of a, okay, let's see what you guys do and give them a pass to prove themselves. Hiring John Garcia, smart move. I I like John. I know John's going to be honest. Even when we don't agree, he's going to be honest. And so, cause like I tried to talk John into putting Benjamin Morrison in the top hundred and he said, I like him, but I can't put him top hundred because of whatever, whatever. And he ends up was ended up being incorrect about that one, but no matter what his relationship was with me or how much he trusted me, he had to trust his own eyes. And, you know, so he, he went with, I respect that. I respect people like that. And there just aren't enough of that out there to be honest with you, Patrick, in my opinion. And so that's, that's where I'm coming from. I don't know if that answers your question, Patrick. So if you can let me know if that answers your question or not, um, I would, you know, 
I, I don't want to not answer your question. I still I literally didn't understand what your question was. So just let me if I did. I think that's all the questions. Let me just scroll here real quick and make sure I didn't miss any. Um, oh, here's one. Here, here we got a couple more here. We got one from uh, Beezer. 12 Washington beard. I uh, don't know if this has been addressed, but do you have any thoughts on the sec not moving to a nine conference game? I, I look, here's the deal. I don't have a problem. I want to make sure I'm clear on what I said last week. I don't have a problem with conferences going to eight games. It used to be that way for a long time. You were only playing seven, eight conference games because there weren't a lot of teams in your leagues. My issue with this is not that they have an eight game schedule. It's that who they're playing in the non-conference. There are so many SEC teams that just play garbage non-conference schedules. They play like one good team and then a bunch of garbage. That I have a problem with. I have a I have a problem with them not being willing to more teams not being willing to do home and homes with other teams. The fact that Florida has not played a game above the Mason Dixon line like decades. That's a problem for me. I when I when I look at when I look at things like um, Alabama hasn't played like a up until Texas mostly does hasn't played a lot of home and homes. They play like one game neutral site field games, usually close to where they are. I can't stand that. So I don't particularly care for that. Somebody brought this up the other day. What would be smart? And I don't know if they can contractually do it. I don't know if they can, you know, with their TV contracts can just move to eight. But if I was other leagues, I'd say, yeah, fine, we're just going to eight. Big 10, fine, we're just going to eight. Big 12, fine, we're just going to go to eight, you know, and, and just do it that way. I mean, and then give yourself that. Cause like there was a, I forget who it was that made this argument. It's like, well, you know, the last, however, ever since the, whatever teams moved to nine, the big, the teams that have had eight game schedules have won all the championships as if that's like some like, okay. Yeah. You're, you're kind of making the point eight game schedule, especially when you schedule soft non-conference games is going to make it easier for you to run the table. You're not playing as many good teams. You're not getting the same wear and tear on your bodies when you're playing a FCS team in November. When other teams are playing, like Big Ten teams are playing league games the whole month of November. You're playing Mercer the week before your rivalry game. I think those are are problems to me. If they were only going to play eight and then they upped the value of what they were doing out of conference, I don't care. That's fine. Good. I actually, I'm actually a fan of more non-conference games. I would love to see more good non-conference games, partly because that's what I grew up on because you had to, I mean, you had to, there wasn't as many division one teams. You didn't have as many conference games. And so you had to play a lot of good non-conference games. I personally like to see that. I, I care more about that. The issue isn't just the eight. It's the quality of what they play outside of the eight. That is the problem for me. It's not true for all SEC teams, but too many is the problem. So, so good question there. So I'm going to end it there and got to wrap this up. I'm starting to lose my voice a little bit and uh, had a lot of good questions. I hope I was able to get to most of those very, very much. Uh, appreciate you guys getting those questions in. Well, tonight, six o'clock, Sean Styers is going to have a, uh, he's going to go live at six o'clock for the IB Nation Sports Talk. I'll be back tomorrow. Vince and I are going to have our next position preview, uh, Notre Dame position preview as we look forward to the 2023 season. Um, Wednesday, I have another solo show. We're going to have IB Nation Sports Talk all night this week. We're going to have afternoon shows all week this week. Got a lot of fun stuff planned for you. 
Make sure you are, are locked in. Hit that like button, folks. Hit that subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. Share this podcast. If you're listening via podcast platform, please give us a five-star review. We'd greatly appreciate that. Got the merch store down below. Check out all of our cool merch. Sign up for the message boards. We would love to see your support of, of uh, Virus Breakdown that way. But also, come on the board and engage. You know, let's have some conversation. Uh, I think it's um, it's it's a it's a good place to talk. Just be willing to have your opinions pushed back on sometimes. And uh, we need more smart people, more people willing to get into conversations and debate and have some fun. And and um, I, I think you'll really enjoy it. So thanks, everybody, for being with us today. Have a great rest of your day. Six o'clock tonight, IB Nation Sports Talk. Check out the updates. We're going to have a message board. Stay tuned in. We may have a couple extra shows this week. We'll, we'll have to see about that one. So you all have a great rest of your day, and I'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for joining me on the Irish Breakdown Podcast.